Well, we do celebrate with these children and their families in the presentation of these Bibles, and we do trust that God's Word will be read by them and that God will speak to them in that process. We also trust every Sunday when we gather for worship that as we read the Word that God will speak to us. So let me invite you to take your Bibles. If you did not bring one, there's a pew Bible right in front of you. Some people use their mobile devices. We're still in the Psalms, looking at Psalm 14 this morning. Psalm 14. Psalm 14 is an individual song or psalm of lament, of complaint to God. It is a psalm that, interestingly, is almost a word-for-word same version of Psalm 53. So when you get home today, turn over to Psalm 53 and compare it with Psalm 14. They're almost exactly the same. The Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann says that this particular psalm, Psalm 14, is seeking to counter the thinking that we can manage the world a whole lot better than God can. So as we read it, follow along and notice how the psalmist is almost expressing faults on behalf of God. And also notice how there is a shift. We're going to talk about this shift this morning between verses 1 through 3 and then verses 4 and following. There's a shift that I want you to pay attention to. Well, let's begin. Verse 1 of Psalm 14. The fool, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, speaking of these fools, their deeds are vile, there is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned aside, they have together become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. So we've got verses 1 through 3 where everybody's a fool. Good morning, fools. Good morning, fool. Back to me. Everyone's a fool. Everyone is corrupt. Everyone is wicked. Everyone is evil. There's not anyone who does good, not even one. Now that's the tone of verse 3. Verses 1 through 3. Now, notice the shift a little bit in beginning with verse 4. There's almost an allowance that maybe there are some good, there are some righteous. Verse 4, will evildoers never learn? Those, this is almost God speaking, those who devour my people as men eat bread and who do not call on the Lord. There they are, overwhelmed with dread, For God is present in the company of the righteous. Now we've got an allowance here that maybe there is some good. You evildoers frustrate the plans of the poor, but the Lord is their refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion when the Lord restores the fortunes of his people. Let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, can there be a a name 
that can be any worse than calling someone a fool? Now, you know, there are tons of bad and derogatory names that, that we could call each other, maybe some more derogatory than others, depending on your perspective. But being called fool is a pretty bad name. I, I think the reason maybe we don't like to be called a fool is because it goes to the very heart of our ego, of who we are. It, it suggests that there's an intellectual or a wisdom-oriented or a common-sense-oriented diminishment and deficiency in us. So no one likes to be called a fool. And yet it's interesting that this is exactly how the psalmist begins this morning. The fool. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now, a fool in Hebrew thinking is a little different from the way you and I see a fool. We may see a fool as someone who's lacking intellectually, wisdom-oriented, common sense-wise. A fool in Hebrew thinking is, is different. And first of all, let me say here that when the psalmist writes, the fool says in his heart, there is no God, I don't think he's writing about someone who's come out on the atheism or the agnosticism side of things. We don't have somebody here who's kind of done this intellectual exercise and has determined that he or she doesn't believe there's a God or he or she questions or wonders about whether God exists. What we're dealing with here, I think, is the Hebrew thinking of a fool. In Hebrew, a fool is called a nabal, N-A-B-A-L in English. And if you are a fool in Hebrew thinking, a nabal, you are someone who is either A, morally deficient in character, or B, you are someone who acts on the basis of incorrect assumptions about God and how he works in the world. You, you really think you know how the world runs better than God does who made it and created it. You have incorrect assumptions about who God is and how he works in the world, that qualifies you to be a fool. Now, I don't know if you remember this or not, but in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures, in 1 Samuel chapter 25, there is actually a man by the name of Nabal, N-A-B-A-L. And Nabal is a very interesting guy because he makes a wrong assumption about David prior to his becoming king over Israel. You may recall at this particular point in David's life that King Saul is trying to hunt down David and his men because King Saul views David as a rival and a threat to the throne of Israel. So David's kind of on the run. And at one point in this territory where David has been, some of Nabal's men have had their sheep out grazing, and David's men, his army, kind of protect them. Well, sometime later, David is in Nabal's territory in his land, and David needs some provisions. He needs some food, some water, some other provisions, and he sends some of his men to remind Nabal that, hey, I've been kind to you in the past. How about you repaying the favor to me? And Nabal acts as if he doesn't even know David. He, he insults David. He ridicules David to the point that it makes David so angry that he takes 400 of his men and he vows that he's going after Nabal and he's going to kill every male person in Nabal's family until Nabal's 
wife, Abigail, hears what David is about to do because of her husband's insult of David, and she goes out, and because of her entreaty to David, and because she brings some provisions and supplies to him, David decides he will not destroy Nabal's family. But all of this happens because Nabal misjudges. He has incorrect assumptions about David and how God is working in David's life. Now, now you understand that if we make consistent, incorrect assumptions about how life works, we're going to be in a heap of trouble real fast, aren't we? If I suddenly decide that I'm going to climb up to the top of this sanctuary, and I really don't believe that life works in such a way that gravity exists, and I decide I'm going to jump off the top of the sanctuary, I'm going to be in a heap of trouble real fast because I have this incorrect assumption about how life works. And one of my incorrect assumptions is I don't believe gravity exists. If I decide to, drop, to dive into the ocean or a river or a swimming pool, and one of my incorrect assumptions about life is that I really think if you breathe in water in your lungs, that makes you live. My lungs need water in them, not air. I'm going to create a heap of trouble about myself and for myself. If I decide that the way life works is that I can insult every person that I see right and left and have the whole world loving me, that's an incorrect, incorrect assumption about how the world works, and I'm going to be in a heap of trouble pretty fast. If I really think that starting in my early 20s, I can simply put $10 a month in my 401k or 403b retirement plan, and by the time I'm in my 60s or 70s, I'm going to have millions of dollars that's an incorrect assumption about how life works, isn't it? Now you're sitting there saying, well, yeah, if you put $10 in the right stock, you might have millions and millions of dollars. But I mean, hey, seriously, what are the odds, right? If you make the wrong kind of assumptions about how the world works, you're going to get in trouble. And if you make the wrong kind of assumptions about how God works and what God is all about, you're going to get into some trouble as well. Now, let's go back to the Psalm 14 for just a moment. Verses 1 through 3. The psalmist writes, speaking of the Nabals, the fools, those who are either morally deficient or are making wrong assumptions about God, the psalmist says, the fools, the Nabals, are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All, did you hear that? A-L-L? -L? All have turned aside. They have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Now that's where the psalmist begins. And then there's a shift in verses 4 through 6. From the all category to the category 
of, well, maybe there are a few righteous left in the world. Because verses 4 through 6 talks about God is in the company of the righteous, suggesting that maybe there are some righteous people still left. That not everybody is an evildoer, not everybody is wicked. There are a few righteous who are left. Now, what does this mean for us? What, what is this shift all about? Well, let me tell you what I think could be the case. I believe that if you and I are not careful, you and I could play the fool. And our names could become Nabal very quickly. I think it would be very easy for you and me to discount verses 1 through 3 where the psalmist writes, all are not righteous or good, there is no one who is good. And, and we could focus more on verses 4 through 6 that allows for some righteous people to exist. I, I think you and I could sit back and say, you know, I live a pretty decent and moral life. And I believe in God, and I'm not really such a bad person. I'm certainly not an evildoer. I'm not like one of those terrorists 15 years ago today who flew planes into the Pentagon, who flew planes into the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center, who caused that plane in Pennsylvania to be crashed into the ground. I'm not like all of these wicked, evildoers, violent folks in the world. I guess that means, therefore, that I belong in the category of the good and the righteous. The other folks are the bad guys. The other folks are the evildoers. They're the fools. Their name is Nabal. But I'm kind of glad that that's not my name because I'm on God's side. Now, folks, let me tell you what I think the temptation of the Christian person is. Let me tell you what I think the temptation is for those who call themselves saved, those who call themselves followers after Jesus, those who are seekers after God. The temptation is to discount the fact that every one of us in some shape, form, or fashion is sinful and broken and we're a part of fallen humanity. Every one of us operates on false assumptions that really believes that we can ignore God at times in our lives, that we can slice Him out of the, the equation in decision-making, that we can even, on occasions be morally deficient in a quiet, hidden sort of way, and God will be okay with that. But we seldom name ourselves in the company of evildoers. It's always the other guy who needs to repent. It's always the other guy who needs to change. It's always the other guy who needs to be transformed and to be in need of God's grace. And so we fall into the trap of being the ones with inaccurate assumptions about who we are and how God works in the world. 
The Apostle Paul actually quotes Psalm 14 in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. Paul almost word for word quotes verses 1 through 3 of Psalm 14 in describing how no one is righteous, no one understands, no one does good, not even one. But then a few verses later in verses 23 through 24, Paul writes, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Paul makes the connection, the final connection, between Romans 3 all the way back to Psalm 14. He makes the connection between the real truth of sin and God's grace. Folks, everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all of us, if we open our hearts, are freely justified by the grace that comes through the redemption that Jesus offered. It's a redemption, my friends, that we all need lest we fall into that perpetual trap of practicing on a consistent basis a fool's faith. A faith which fools us into thinking that we've got God all figured out when in fact maybe we've missed out on how he works in the world by a long shot and if that's the case then our name is Nabal fool Friends, Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who do earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. So therefore this morning I want to invite you to confess your sin before God and to understand that in his reading of things and his understanding of things, we all are sinners and we all need his love and his grace and his forgiveness. So let's confess that sin and become the recipients of his mercy and of his pardon. Let's pray together for a moment in silence as we confess our sin. Oh God, our Heavenly Father, we do name this morning the sin that is before us. And even those places, God, of deficiency that we do not see about ourselves, but you see. And we pray, oh God, for your forgiveness and your pardon and your mercy because of what Christ has done for us on the cross of Calvary.
we intend this morning, Lord, to take that mercy and that forgiveness and that grace and become healing instruments of your love and your peace to those who are around us. So even as we are praying now, Lord, we offer prayers for those who are in need of physical, emotional, spiritual, and relational healing. Those, God, whose world has been shattered and who needs your love and your grace and your strength. We do remember those events of 15 years ago, God, that brought such discord and distress and fear to our nation. We pray for those families who are still recovering from the death of loved ones. And we pray, God, that you would continue to protect us from evil as you have taught us to do in that great prayer that your son taught his disciples. So, Lord, we close this time of prayer by praying that prayer and asking you to hear it in Jesus' name. Would you join me now as we pray the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Sisters and brothers in Christ, the peace of Christ be with you. Let me invite you to stand and offer those same words of greeting and peace to those who are around you this morning.